This is Kenshi Takahashi, and Sento and I welcome you to the Realmcast. And we are the official podcast of Mortal Kombat Online. Prepare yourself as we plunge to the depths of the Mortal Kombat multiverse, bringing you the well-known and significant figures of the Mortal Kombat community. I'm your host, the Mortal Kombat Phantom. Thank you, Phantom. Uh, this is the Realm Cast, where every warrior has a story to tell, and today's combatant is Vic Chow. Welcome, Vic. Hey, folks. How you all doing? Good to be here. Hey, Vic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, before we kind of jump into everything, could you tell us, when were you actually first introduced to Mortal Kombat? Like the very first time that would be as a kid in this in this video game room arcade called Peacock Palace and and just seeing, you know, like little, of course, you know, like like all these quarters lined up along the top edge of 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 the thing and just pe- watching people just doing the most incredible combinations, incredible kicks. And I was just like, whoa, that's so cool. So. I must have been, gosh, I don't know. I, I was definitely really young. I'm I'm guessing I'm guessing ten years old or something like that. But yeah, the back in back in the back <laughs> in the stand up, you know, the, the days of the stand up stand up arcade game. So Which game was it? Do you remember? Was it Mortal Kombat One or Two? You know, back then, I think it might have been the original. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think it might have just been called Mortal Kombat at that time. So. <laughs> Not Mortal One Kombat or Mortal Kombat Right, one. right, right. It was just, <laughs> there was only one, you know, but, but I remember being blown away by it. And I was not good at the game. But it's okay. It doesn't matter because even getting crushed, it's, it's, it's a blast playing it. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was one of the most beautiful parts about it. You could play it, you could get it absolutely destroyed, but it looked amazing. It was looked when it really happen. cool. Yes. <laughs> so, who is your favorite character then? Did, did you pick one when you started playing in the arcades, and has that stuck with you? Along the lines of along the lines of interruptions, this is Pop Tart right here. And <laughs> hi, dog. It's like, what's going on? Who are these people? All right. Aww. Well, thank you for coming by. I'm sure we'll probably hear her bark at some point. So. <laughs> That's all right. But go ahead, Yanni. Sorry about that. All good. All good. Uh, I mean, I was asking who was your favorite character at the time, and has that stuck with you since the arcade days? Liu Kang was was my favorite back then, just because like like he's just you know like the simple you know shirtless buff dude and stuff like that, and thought he was thought he was super cool. Since then, my favorite player has become this. I don't know if you've heard of him. Is he's a blind swordsman named Kenshi Takahashi. <laughs> so by now, I realize that is by far the most superior character. <laughs> no, no bias involved with that. Oh, of right? course not. Of course, just objective. No you know, that's just how it is. I love how many voice actors we have come on the show and grow to love like their character in particular. Like it's it's so cool to see that character become a part of you rather than just something that you voice, something that you're performing. Like it's, you know, in a way it is you. That's cool to me. 
It's it's wonderful, you know, and just in the voiceover world, it's like something I do quite a bit is I do dubbing of like, you know, a Korean drama or, or, or a Chinese sitcom or something like that. And it's really fun because when you when you get assigned a character like like you bond with him and it just becomes your character and you root for him and everything. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very fun just growing close and, 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 you know, embodying this, this fictional character. <laughs> well, along the same lines, how did you actually get started in this whole career of voice acting? Where did this all come from? You know, it really took off during the pandemic because because it was the pandemic. Prior to that, I had been acting for a very long time, and my 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 career had done gone through different stages. You know, there's a period when commercials were wonderful to me, and I was booking a ton of commercials. Then one hour dramas, particularly law enforcement type of roles, were were really strong for me. And then what happened was the pandemic came along. And I was just like, hey, I'm a dad. I've got kids. I am not going to take the risk of possibly getting this 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 unknown disease that uh, nobody knows what's going on with and people are just dying all over the world. So I was just like, I was just like voiceover. It's, it's, that's the only thing I can do. That's the only thing I can do safely. And I remember talking it over with my wife and I was like, okay, if I'm really going to do voiceover, it's going to cost me this much for the microphone, this much for a voiceover for an actual booth, this much for all the equipment and stuff like that. And fortunately my wife is much, much smarter than me. And she was just like, she just said, Hey, you have to work, go do it, go buy that. So I spent a bunch of money on a setup and I've been so very blessed to work quite a bit as a voiceover actor and it's so funny because the first you know 20 years of my career I was an on-camera actor and with these last with these last three years as a voiceover actor it's awesome (laughs) I oh my gosh it's so great I love it so much you know especially as 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 a dad and stuff like that like Kim's kids had this giant time suck. And all of a sudden I have some slight control of my schedule and it's wonderful. So it's like, you know, you can compare the fact that, you know, I've said this, but you know, I've said, okay, yeah, we can record this voiceover job on Halloween. Uh, but I need a hard out at three o'clock because I'm going to take my kids trick or treating. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, no problem. And you compare that with on camera where it's just like, you're going to be there whenever they want you to be there or else they just got to recast you. And it's just like, so, so like you compare, you could compare what I just said versus when I had to tell my wife that she was going to have to spend the first two days of our anniversary celebration in New York city by herself because, because I had to shoot a commercial in Los Angeles and I was going to fly and catch up with her. So it's wonderful. The world of voiceover is just it's fun and it's it allows me to focus more it allows me to focus i tend to be kind of an obsessive sort of person and and to be able to just focus like very clearly on my voice and what i can embody with my voice is just wonderful you know as opposed and you know 
I love on camera as well, but it's like on camera, it's like you got to deliver your line, but you also got to hit your mark right over here. You make sure you get the, you're getting the light and then you got a banana in as you continue to walk out. And, and so there's all these things that you try to keep in mind throughout, throughout your scene and stuff like that. So it's, it's wonderful. I love voiceover. That's actually really nice to hear because obviously, you know, the pandemic was a situation where it, it really harmed more than it help but a lot of people have actually found their way into different things throughout the pandemic and actually i mean this podcast was <laughs> spawned during the pandemic itself too oh wow now that is something that we have tended to hear from a, a few few guests actually that, that really? their careers tended to to take off a little bit throughout the pandemic but you have been voice acting prior to the pandemic itself. I mean, you were a part of, for example, Mortal Kombat X, which was in 2015. Yes. So you were in voice acting beforehand. How did you sort of get into the realm of voice acting prior? I had done a small amount of voiceover work. It was, you know, occasionally my agent would send me a voiceover audition and I would record it poorly on whatever <laughs> on like on my phone or whatever definitely not on professional equipment and stuff like that and so I had booked a, a few a few jobs that were that were kind of cool you know and and the one for Mortal Kombat X I was just like whoa no way <laughs> So yeah, I had been incredibly blessed to to get to do some jobs prior to the to the pandemic, and and yeah, I consider myself very blessed. And definitely, Mortal Kombat X was by far the the biggest job of that stage of my career. And then and then when it came after the pandemic, then that's when that's when I really just threw myself into voiceover full fledged, and it's all worked out. Before the interview, you mentioned that you now have a full studio basically for recording in your house. I, I think that's really cool. It's kind of like, you know, most people ended up getting an at-home office or something like that. But for a voice actor, of course, you need your, your full studio. So that's a, that's a really cool transition to how the industry has shifted during the pandemic, as, as you were kind of mentioning. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's kind of interesting because nowadays, I would say... 80 to 90% of my work now still goes into the studio, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm in based in LA. So the, those studios are quite close to me and stuff like that. But certainly during the pandemic, it was just, it was just, you know, that's when we all learned how to be like our own sound engineers and, <laughs> and, and learn how to like, like block out sound from everything. And I, I haven't seen out of the window of my office since the pandemic started. <laughs> I have no idea what it looks like because it's just got this, this this giant sound panel just blocking the entire window. So so yes, at least it allows me to record good quality auditions now. But interestingly enough, for actual recording jobs, I, I use it far less than I did a year ago even. So did, for, for voice acting as a whole, did you have any significant first roles that kind of, or like what was your actual first role in voice acting? My first role ever. This is a good stroll down memory lane. I think it was, must have been World of Warcraft, was it not? Oh my gosh, was it? The pen, like the a Pandarian, like yes, yeah, like there was, <laughs> there was a, a Pandarian, like a big panda, big panda uh, thing, and I was like, oh yeah, can I go wrong? And They're like, no, no, just you know, at least more of a friendly sort of thing. I'm like, all right, so yeah, it might have been, it might have been World of Warcraft, or it might have been, gosh, Red, 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 Red Alert. 
Red Alert, oh. Command and Conquer. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Command and Conquer. That was that yeah. was the very. I think I'm. I think that was my very first one. Was Red Alert, Command and Conquer, and yeah, like just the first time that you get to do something, you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I think I think they, I think there was a video component to it. So they gave me a lab jacket and grayed up my hair, and and yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, I just thought it was the coolest thing. And they 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 gave me a copy of you know the of the game, and I was like, oh, this is classy, you know. So. But yeah, that was my first job ever. It was very fun. Actually, a little fun fact here. You are not the first guest we've had who's been involved in Command and Conquer. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Not the same game, but we had Adoni Maropis, who played mm-hmm. General Hassan in uh, Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> so quite, and, quite the coincidence there. And and I remember, you know, my character's name was Dr. Shimada, which was funny because like years later, I played another character named Dr. Shimada in this wonderfully awful movie. And I say this with great, <laughs> great affection. Like it was awfully wonderful or wonderfully awful, however you put it. Like I loved being part of it. This movie called Mega Shark versus, sorry, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. And it was... It was just such a silly, silly thing. It was, just, you know, it was like uh, it was put out by Asylum, uh, written and directed by this awesome guy named Jack Perez, and we had, and it starred me and Deborah Gibson as her. I was, I was the love interest to Deborah Gibson, which was, which was incredibly hilarious because I, I got to kiss my, my, my high school crush. You know, the, the yeah, like the, had, wait, the same Debbie crush. Gibson, the musician, yes, Debbie Gibson, except for, That's except for, amazing. She is Deborah now, but, but oh yes, yeah, yeah <laughs> but, but, but yeah, to like, to like, you know, have a crush on this, on this, on this pop singer in high school and, and, and actually get to, to, to be her romantic interest in a movie is uh, is a blast so so yeah it didn't win an oscar but boy did we have fun shooting that thing <laughs> oh that's and, amazing and that actually is what spawned like the sharknado frenzy and yeah, stuff like that because, exactly that <laughs> exactly yeah it, <laughs> yeah it spawned sharknado so so yeah it's funny because you you mentioned like obviously you had a couple of your first roles and then you went straight into a big hitter which I would consider a sleeper hit, which is part of play on the on the name actually, Sleeping Dogs. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Because that game, I mean, now has a cult following in the sense that it's it's as good as, if not better than GTA, just a completely different setting. So that's quite the game to jump into right after. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. That game had gone through some twists and turns and stuff. And as I recall, like it had actually like been revamped. It went through like a revamp before they released it and everything like that. But yes, you are correct that that was that was one of my first roles and uh, that was an early role and and I had no idea that it was going to be as big as it as it turned out to be, you know, and 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 when it got I, I believe it got picked up by Square Enix and, and uh, yeah, it was pretty cool what they did with it and stuff. So, I mean, I was telling Phantom earlier because I don't think he's played the game, but there's this quote that the internet loves from Sleeping Dogs and it's, a man who never eats pork buns is never a whole man. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I can believe that. That's true. <laughs> pork buns are mighty good. I'm a, I'm a Xiaolongbao kind of person myself. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm a Xiaolongbao, very, very big fan of those. I, I went through this stage, I remember, where I just like 
was trying to like hit up every Xiaolongbao uh, place in LA. And there's a lot of them in LA, but it's just like, <laughs> if I was if I was anywhere close to like the San Gabriel area, it's like, okay, let's hit up a Xiaolongbao place. <laughs> so, you know, Vic, before we get into Mortal Kombat and, and the iconic role of Kenshi, I mean, your career is like, it, it's a long career. Like you've done everything from like, Revenge, Monk 24, to things like Frasier and Gilmore Girls. And you were even on that short-lived TV show, Heathers, which I was a big fan of the show because I love the movie. So I don't know why that get canceled. Yeah. (laughs) But like throughout everything that you've done, have you received any kind of advice from any of your peers that have kind of shaped who you've become and, and the roles that you've taken and what you've done within the acting community as a whole? It's a really interesting question. I'm sure I have. Nothing's coming to mind. But I will say, you know, one bit of advice that that I got, I remember when I used to be an engineer, okay. So I, I used to do the the I used to be the good Asian kid. I was I was I was a heat transfer engineer first, applications engineer, and then I did, went on to develop medical devices. And of course that's a that's a good safe profession, you know, and and I certainly would have been financially stable, you know, staying as an engineer and stuff like that, but I, I didn't like it. And I always wanted to be an actor. And so while I was an engineer, I would take half days off, you know, I, I, I didn't have time to actually do acting, but I was taking cl- acting classes during that time. And then while I was an engineer, I would I would do print jobs. And then so I would take half days off of work all the time to go drive down to Chicago and and, and do a do a modeling job and then and then you know be back in be back in the afternoon or or whatever. And so that's how I lived for for a couple of years, just constantly just doing print jobs on the side. And then eventually I was like, okay, it's it's time to take the plunge. You know, I, I can't I can't act while I'm an engineer. So it, it's time to take the plunge. You know, I've saved up enough money. And so my mom very understandably was very upset and literally didn't talk to me for two weeks. Um, <laughs> and, and I was still living at home at the time. So it's pretty uncomfortable when you just yeah. like, you're like in the kitchen and your mom won't talk to you at all. But I remember, I remember very soon after I had officially quit my job to pursue acting full time, our extended family, you know, my cousins, families, we all went out to, I don't know, I think some, 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 some place for some family, for some, for some family dinner. It might've been old country buffet, which, <laughs> 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 oh, that place. Okay. Anyway, but I remember everybody was upset with me and like all of the, all of the, all of the adults, the parents were all upset with me. And at some point, for some reason, just coincidentally, everybody at the big long table all left to go get more food. And it was just me and my uncle left at the table. And, and, and like, he just leans over to me, like looks around, make sure nobody's looking at me. And he goes, he goes, this, I know if you want something and you have a plan, not just, you can't just say, I I want something and, and have no plan. Okay. But if you want something and you have a plan, then you should do it. And he goes, don't tell your mommy. I told you this. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's amazing. So, 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 so I, I, I very much appreciated that. And, and he's right. He's right. It's like, it's, it's one thing to, to just say, Hey, this would be really cool. But it's, it's a, it's another thing entirely to say, this is something that I want to go after. How do I go about doing it? What are the steps that I need? How can I make this happen? And, and that's, that's something I have applied. It's just like, if you want something, but you haven't taken the time to actually visualize the steps that are going to make it happen, then it's probably not going to happen, you know? So, but if you can make a plan, yeah, go for it. That's great advice. That's yeah, cool. That, that is a really, it's always nice, you know, hearing these kind of things where somebody's taking a risk and then people are giving them hell for it. And then one person just says, yeah. you know, go for it, do it. Yeah. You know? And it's not just that. It's also, it, it's like advice at the same time, go for it, but make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. You yeah, do yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and like, just, just throwing out another piece of advice that Stuart Robinson, an acting coach of mine had, had mentioned is just, you know, he just said, he just said in this business, it's much better to ask for forgiveness than permission. It's much easier. <laughs> and, and that's something that I have initially, I have problem trouble with because I was the, I, I am the good Asian boy. I still, you know, was taught, okay, well you ask for the, you ask for permission and stuff like that. And I realize, but, but he's completely right. You know, it's like, sometimes you just do something and, and, and you don't try not to worry about like, what's the consequences or something like that. So it's, it's, that's a piece of advice that I also try to remember, especially when I'm feeling a little bit tentative about things. So you have some good pieces of advice in your life. So <laughs> good to see you're doing well with them. Speaking of, you know, where the advice has possibly taken your career and such in your life, you have been a part of, we've already mentioned a couple of video games, but a multitude of other, as you say, very successful video game franchises aside from mortal Kombat, you've been a part of ghost of tsushima you've been a part of final fantasy midnight suns marvel spider-man bioshock infinite xcom and i mean firstly that is a very impressive <laughs> list on your filmography for oh, sure thank you thank you i'm very blessed you know my agents my agents at vox are very good about getting me out and so i appreciate all the opportunities they brought my way well as somebody who enjoys many of those games on that list, I appreciate that too. <laughs> so thank you firstly for lending your voice to those games. Big fan of, for example, Ghost of Tsushima. And one thing that I find very interesting is that you, as we just said, you've been on Ghost of Tsushima as well as Spider-Man. And a couple of your fellow cast members of Mortal Kombat 1 have also been on both those games. You've, had, you've got Yuri Lowenthal and you've got Daisuke Tsuji. Yes, yes, uh, which yes. I, whose name I'm probably butchering. Apologies, that, but <laughs> that's that's why that's why I call him Daisuke. So that, that, yeah. that, the Daisuke part's easier, I, I, easy easy to get. So I will say, just a little anecdote with with Daisuke. You know, we shot some scenes together, and we're largely not interacting with each other too much, but like we're in the same room, and 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 the thing is, it's like in this quiet environment. Daisuke's voice is so soothing and he would just say his lines and I would just be like, oh my gosh, I'm about to fall asleep because it's, <laughs> it's so soothing. So, so, and it, it's funny because people have told me that about my voice and I was just like, oh, okay, that's nice to hear. Thank you. But, but 
to me, my voice is just my voice. I, it doesn't sound mm. anything like, yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever, you know, but, but to hear, to be, to be on the other end and hear a really soothing voice, I'm like, oh, this must be what some people are saying about, about my voice. <laughs> ah, this is very relaxing. So anyway, yeah, nice kid's got a, nice kid's got a great voice. It's actually funny you say that because it, it, like now that you've mentioned it, I do hear that, but it's funny because then it's sort of in a heavy contrast to the get over here that we hear right. <laughs> mid conversation. But I mean, speaking of all those video games and as well as Mortal Kombat, I'm curious as to how, if, they, if at all, the process is varied in recording between those games themselves, as well as possibly in comparison to Mortal Kombat itself too. Yeah, interesting question. With 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 Ghost of Tsushima, there was quite a bit of motion capture and facial capture. And so when you're doing that, you know, you're basically wearing this headgear that's just basically like a giant beak. You know? So 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 you just got this thing hanging right in front of you that's a camera just pointed right at your face. So that's that's something a little bit that's something a little bit uh, takes a little getting used to and stuff like that. I can't remember. Did I do mocap body motion motion capture? I may or may not have done it for a Ghost of Tsushima, but but like the you know the body suits with the with the with those reflective balls, those are really fun. They're incredibly incredibly comfortable. It's like it's like pajamas. Like honestly, I think what, <laughs> like if they gave me one to take home, I would sleep in it. They're 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 really comfortable. Mortal Kombat is is more you know directly in in you know, in the studio, and then and then working directly with Dominic Cianciolo, who's just so many adjectives are coming all at once, like <laughs> brilliant, sharp, smart, precise. He's 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 just a great director. I'm sure you're aware of him. He's he's the glue that seems to to tie everything together. He writes the scripts. He directs the sessions. The, the man is a really, really sharp workhorse, and it's great working with him. He is, he's just simultaneously brilliant and incredibly human and friendly and warm all at once. So, so it's, it's great working with him. You know, we've, we've kind of talked about your career in these different aspects, like TV shows, video games, even animes and movie. Have you had anything that's been extremely challenging for you as an actor I do a lot of screaming in voiceover. I love, I'm a martial artist, so I do, ch you know, I do, I chase a lot of fight scenes. I, I love that stuff, you know, all that, you know, type of thing. <laughs> I, I love that stuff. I will say, my dog, <laughs> yes, my dog hates it when <laughs> she always does that like if i if i'm doing any of my low voices or something like that she just always leaves the room um, and and in fact like you know i've been i've been watching mortal kombat gameplay and stuff and she'll she'll be in the room watching other characters fight but when Kenshi comes on and is fighting and it's just like yelling, she leaves the room. She's like, she's like I, I know that voice. Somebody, you know, Vic's really angry right now. I, I, I got to get out of here. I can't, I can't take this tension. So I will say that while I've done a lot of martial arts noises and efforts, Nothing is as brutal as the Mortal Kombat efforts. So oh yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they are. They are so so brutal, and of course they have to be because they have the most creative fatalities anywhere. You know. Yeah. But 
but yeah, it's just like, okay, <laughs> there's, you're giving, you're, you're getting set on fire. Now give me three levels of being set on fire. So it's like, it's like, okay, first there's just a little bit of fire, you know, now there's a lot of fire. Okay. Now you're totally engulfed in fire and stuff like that. So, so yeah, Mortal Kombat, the Mortal Kombat fight efforts are wonderfully brutal. And I just remember for Mortal Kombat X, they like, like for like, three or four days afterwards, just like this. And, and, and it was totally worth it. Totally worth it. Do it again in a moment. But so I will say that was definitely a real physical challenge from an acting challenge. You know, I'll still say acting wise would still be doing a, a play, a play called golden child uh, with the silk road the- silk road rising theater comp project in in chicago and and there's just something wonderful about getting to play with the same character for you know 12 weeks and experiment with things and try things even if even if you think it's a bad idea just trying things say oh hey you know that works or the audience laughs when i do it this way and if i Mm. do it this way nobody laughs at all you know so 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 that is that i would say was the most that is i would say the most challenging acting job that i've had it's it's still it still plays you know because it's just such a different art form than than a voiceover or on-camera acting have you have you had any characters that have kind of stuck with you more than than your other characters that you've you've acted out? I have a complete fondness fondness for Kenshi Takahashi. I, I mean, no no joke, not just because I'm on the, this, the this podcast, but Kenshi Takahashi of Mortal Kombat and Song of Final Fantasy. I love those characters. It's partially because of the quality of the games, and it's also partially because of how fantastic the fans are they're hmm. just they're just wonderful they're so supportive you know you know the 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 ones who like create their own fan fiction or or draw their own renditions of it like i mean it's it's wonderful i love hearing from them and it it's it's the fuel that keeps us going and then say hey hey i'm 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 doing something that that matters to people i remember stan lee had this fantastic quote where he was just like you know i used to feel like I, I wasn't doing anything important because there were doctors and, you know, there are doctors out there saving lives. And here was I, all I was doing was, was, was drawing comics. But, but then somebody pointed out to me that, you know, people would go nuts without the relief that's offered from entertainment, from comics. And, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, it's, it's really gratifying to know that the work you do makes a difference and makes a difference and is appreciated by people. Every artist has a unique lens. Like, how would you articulate your philosophy specifically when you're approaching a new character role? I do a lot of, I do a lot of pre-work. You know, I do a lot of thought process of, you know, what does this character mean to me? What is he fighting for? You know, it's wonderful when you can get the full script. Frequently, you don't get the full script, but in the case of in the case of Mortal Kombat 1, it's wonderful because they send you the whole script and you get to just see everything. And again, this credit goes to Dominic because like this guy, this guy writes like, uh, I think it was like a 180 page story mode screenplay, you know, that's like, that's like two standard feature, feature length, feature films, you know. And so, so you go through all that, but honestly, 
while it's important to do all of that pre-work and all of that thought work, it's playing, it's playing make-believe and, and like, it's so, so it's like, it is complicated. It is hard, but then it boils down to just playing make-believe, which is the simplest thing in the world that every, every kid knows how to do and, and, and loves doing. So, so I love that I can, you know, you can, you can parse it down, but, but it ultimately comes down to just playing. When you first get a script, what kind of goes through your mind to build up the essence of that character and to kind of embody the voices that you're going to be playing? If I have time to, I'll read it through first without any and try to suppress the urge to act it out in my head or in real life. So so if I have the time, I'll read it all first as a first pass. And then as a second pass, that's when I'll I'll start actually delivering the lines out, thinking of, you know, breaking it down thinking about the deliveries and and experimenting with what sounds good or not. And and one thing that's one of the things that's wonderful is in the world of voiceover, you get multiple chances. This is not how you do it in on camera. Well, on on camera, you are doing multiple scene, you are doing multiple takes, but but it's wonderful just to be able to give an A, B, and C of the different things that of the of each line so that you can experiment with different things, you know, and it's, and it's fun when, when you Frankenstein the, the two, you know, you know, part of, part of take a part of take B and part of take C all together to form something that sounds really cool. Voice acting itself is a very, a, a skill I would say, which requires a lot of versatility, especially when you're acting out various roles. And how would you, somebody who has, for example, in just Mortal Kombat X alone, voiced multiple characters, how would you manage to switch between these characters, particularly if you're recording them in one session? As a general rule of thumb, I, you know, so not Mortal Kombat specific, but, but it's like, I think a lot of voice actors experience this where it's like, three characters is pretty easy. Here's your first character, it's your, it's your regular voice, and then you can go a little bit lower for your second character. And then you can go a little bit higher for your third character. And those three are pretty easy. And then when they start acting, asking for more, then you're like, well, then I'll go, well, I'll go raspy. So then there's raspy there. But I can only go so high before it sounds like a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, when when we start going into fifth, you know, like when we start going to the the fifth character, that's when I say I start grasping for things. And what is wonderful is when you just come across people in your regular life. Sometimes there's just people who just kind of spit things out a little bit and you can just say, okay, I'm going to remember that because for some reason, when I talk to this guy, he just keeps spitting out these last words, you know, and you can just throw that in as a character trade or some people just draw and then it's just like, I don't know why they're drawing, but they just kind of do that. And, and so, so just talking to people is wonderful and you sort of like store it in the back of your head and you pull it out when you when you feel like it's it's an appropriate th time to do it now for mortal Kombat specific you know it's it it is the with with the different characters that i've voiced they've been a, quite different so it's like it's like kenshi is kenshi is pretty much me you know i might i might take him to a lower register sometimes and you know sometimes it might go a little bit gravelly but not too much gravelly but but you know 
he's not going to sound like Goro. So, <laughs> and, and, and Goro is just so fun. I'm just going to loosen my lips and I just go and I just go and spit out whatever comes out of the lowest register. Uh, and I love it. Yeah. And, and let's face it, you know, part of what makes it easier is just their technical wizardry, you know, with Sector and Triborg, you know, they're modulating my voice. And so, so I'd like to say I can sound robotic like that, but no, no, that's, that's, that's <laughs> their technical wizardry. And even with Goro, it's like, I'm going as low as I can possibly go. But they're also putting it through a high pass filter. So it goes mm-hmm. even lower. And what's really fun is when you can, when you're wearing the headphones and they're playing it into you you know, as you speak, and you think you're the greatest voice actor in history because <laughs> because it's just like, look how great I sound, you know, even though even though it's the engineer, you know, but but if you can believe that 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 it's you who sounds that that amazing, you can you can trick yourself into believing that it's all you. Well, this actually relates to my next question. So it, it, you you partially answered it in a way, but how has the actual evolution of technology influenced your career? For example, with voice acting in video games and the like. I mean, you've got technology itself allowing you to, to go to different tones, different levels of, of voice, but then also you've got streaming and such. How does all of this come together for your voice acting career? You know, it's like, it's like technology is wonderful. You know, I mean, you think about if this pandemic took place, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I will, Definitely not 20 years ago, you know, 10 years possibly. I, and I certainly wasn't as into the, the business of, of putting together home studio back then. But it's like technology has been wonderful because you can do things from home, you know, and, and thank goodness, you know, because that was the saving grace during the pandemic was that we were able to work from home in our booths and stuff like that. And we all suddenly learned how to be our own engineer. Now, of course, what existential crisis do we face is artificial intelligence um, mm-hmm. and the ability to clone voices. And yeah, no, no joke. That is a that is a genuine that is a genuine threat, you know. And it's something that we are very mindful of. We're concerned about, you know. Can artificial intelligence? You know, artificial intelligence can't do. They can't. It doesn't have that human factor. I mean, that is what is wonderful about human voices is the humanity in there, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's the humor or the imperfections or just these little subtle tweaks that you throw in there because it's just like that's how we are sometimes and and AI can't do that, but but is it a concern? Yes, certainly, and that's, you know, it's just something that we have to be very careful about and very mindful about. Of course, you can't have that sort of human error, which is really part and parcel of having a, a human <laughs> yeah. uh, perform the role, really. Yeah, but absolutely. One one thing that I'm curious about, because obviously during the pandemic itself, as you've mentioned, everybody started working from home. It was a necessity. Now, with you creating your own booth and everything, do you find yourself working mostly from home now for most roles? Or are there certain roles which... For example, even with Mortal Kombat 1, did you have to go in? Was this something that you've noticed that some studios will say, oh, you can do this from home or no, you have to come in to do this here? What's the general consensus on this? It all just depended what stage of the pandemic we were in. Uh, You know, the first two years of the pandemic, 
was virtually everything was just from our own booths, you know, and the engineers were in their own booths. The directors were like listening in from their homes and stuff like that. And then somewhere around, yeah, I think, I think somewhere around 2022, then it started to open up again a little bit. And in fact, I believe I believe the first round of Mortal Kombat 1 did record from my home booth. And then as a little bit more time went by, then then they're like, "Okay, yeah, well, they'd like you to go to an extra to a to a studio." And I was just like, "Oh, wow. Okay. All right." Okay. All right. Yeah, we can do this. We can do this. You know, um, <laughs> but that, that may have been one of the first times we actually going into the studio and stuff. And uh, yeah, gradually it's, 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 it continues to open up. So I am still doing some remotely. And again, it, and it's, and it's wonderful because, you know, I recently recorded a job for New York city uh, in New York city and, and I uh, was able to do that at home, which I certainly, you know, they were not going to be flying me out to, to New York for that particular job. So so yeah, it it is a, it is a blessing to to have your home to have your own home booth, you know. But I would say right now, right now I'd say yeah, ninety percent of my work tends to be in the studios in LA. With the way that technology has been advancing with things like virtual reality and AI, as you mentioned, how do you see the future of voice acting? Like, how how do you envision that future? I want it to continue with the human element, honestly. I I love the human element. I love the process. I love the collaborative process of working with the director uh, and the engineer. And, you know, I'll have a suggestion. The director will have a suggestion. It's a collaborative team process that is wonderful. So I sure hope that we can continue to make it a collaborative process rather than one person just, you know, sitting at a computer, just, you know, tweaking, tweaking buttons and dials and, and, and just deciding everything according to his own ear. I, I want to keep it. I hope that it remains a t- collaborative team process. You know, since we're talking AI right now, as, as at the time we're recording this, there is currently the SAG AFTRA strike going on. SAG AFTRA, yes, SAG AFTRA. We actually had a chance to recently speak to you from the picket lines at the uh, SAG AFTRA strike. So let's cut over that interview for a little bit so we can kind of inform our audience of what's happening there. All right, so you're out on the, the front lines this morning. Yes, I am. We're, we're here at WB <laughs> right now. So Nice. <laughs> Quite fitting. <laughs> yeah, Vic, I guess let's just jump into the questions. I don't know if you noticed, I actually I wore my Goro shirt for you today. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate it. (laughs) So so right now you're currently out at the picket lines for the SAG after strike. Yes, absolutely. How has the strike impacted you personally, like both professionally and emotionally on a personal level? I will say from a professional standpoint, I'm in an incredibly privileged situation because most of my work is voiceover and two thirds of my voiceover work is still allowable. So video games are still on the table. Most animation is still on the table. Dubbing is still allowed. So that comprises a bunch of my income and work. And I've been very, very fortunate that I've still been able to do that. I can't do any voiceover for any TV shows or any, any live action TV shows or feature films. But yes, I'm 
been incredibly privileged that I can still continue to work even during this strike. And at this, and I and I get the privilege of walking on the picket lines and chanting things and and saying angry things about the studios and the AMPTP. <laughs> Coming up pretty soon, though, your contract or your video game might also be impacted by this, won't they? Absolutely, absolutely. We're voting on a strike authorization right now, and it is very likely to pass. I think it's very likely to, pa- to pass. That's not to say that we will go on strike, but it gives our team the authorization to go on strike if necessary. So... Well, speaking of the contracts themselves, and a lot of people, like lay people, aren't aware of how actors' contracts really work. What are some aspects of these contracts that you think should be reformed, in your opinion? Well, the writers and the actors were fighting for a lot of the very similar sort of things. One of the, one of the big ones is residuals for streaming services. So re- residuals are basically royalties. You know, if an author writes a book... Every time the book gets sold, uh, they, they get a little piece of the royalties, which is wonderful, you know, because... And so the thing is, with actors and writers, when we work on a, a show, when it airs in reruns, we get a little bit of a royalty. We get a residual. Now, the thing is, with the network shows, ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, the residuals are solid, and we're very blessed to get those, and... They provide, you know, the the residuals are the lifeblood of an actor. But the thing is, with the streaming services, the residuals are a fraction of network streaming because in the early days of streaming networks like Netflix, you know, it was a baby, it was a baby industry. And they're like, well, we got to let it grow. So, so let's not, let's not, you know, deprive it of revenue. Let's keep the residuals extremely low so that we can, so that we can, you know, allow this business to grow. And so that was a very kind concession that the actors and the writers made to try and encourage this industry. But it's 2023 right now. And the streaming industry is doing pretty well, wouldn't you say? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have so like the six is, of them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, they're all over the place. Streaming is doing great. And the thing is, it's like there are so many writers and actors who work on streamers that are not getting, that are getting, like, pennies, literally pennies of residuals for their work. And that's not enough to sustain us. So that is a major... That is a major fighting point for this strike. The second one is protection from AI, and that is for both writers and actors. Um, you think about it, all the, all, the, all the fights, all the concessions, all the picketing that we're doing right now, you know, we're trying to protect our livelihoods. And if our images can be replaced by a computer, if our voices can be replaced by our computer, if our performances can just be copied and then just replaced by a computer you know that would completely eliminate us and also it'll also create terrible entertainment because you need the human element in order to create a good show so so the thing is it's it's not just for us it's for the quality of the work itself and writers are concerned about that as well these are strike captains who keep us safe they're like making sure that we don't get hit by cars and, <laughs> and, and keeping the morale up. Thank you very much. So, so with, with writers, you know, 
because a because of AI, there they are fighting the risk of some computer generating a script, and then they just hire a WGA writer to just touch it up, clean it up a little bit, make it make sense, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And and again, it's like it's like so so who's going to get credit? Who's going to get credit for the that that script? AI is going to get the credit for the script, and you don't have to pay AI, AI residuals and everything. Hmm. So so yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, there's there's the SAG after tent, the check in tent, and here's the selection of here's the selection of shirts, and it's wonderful because they have white shirts now. Because at the beginning, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the LA heat, yeah. <laughs> In the beginning, it was just all black shirts, and we were just dying. Oh my dying. god. Oh. So, so yes, we've got we've got black shirts now, which is great. But anyway, what I was saying was that was that yeah, writers writers are. I do not. Nobody wants a future where a computer writes a script, and one writer is there to just make it make sense. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. There's an additional thing that writers are fighting for, which is the existence of a real writing room, a real collaborative team effort, where you have a team of writers all working together to make the best script possible. You know. Nobody works in a vacuum, okay? And, or yeah. when they do, when they do, like you get one voice. But it's like when you work as a group, you come up with something collaborative, synergistic, and react and and re- reactive from from all the all the input going through. So so they're tr- the studios are trying to eliminate these writer rooms and boil them down to mini rooms with like one or two people, you know, which is ridiculous. As for you know, just union work in general, I got us, I mean, like, this is why we do union work, because union work, union work keeps us safe, it protects us, you know, like, the, you know, if you, if you work a non-union job, you know, there is no guarantees about anything, like, you know, like, you, you can, re, you can parse through, like, seven pages of legalese, you know, and, but like, who knows what the heck it all says, you know? So, mm-hmm. so it's like, that's the thing is like, there are voiceover people who have signed, who have signed contracts, not, you know, who have, who have done non-union work and their work, their, their voices, can, you know, can legally be cloned and just used in perpetuity because that's, that's the, that's what they signed, you know? And that's mm-hmm. why doing union work is so important and that's why the union protects us now is the union perfect no but this is not the time to discuss the the (laughs) the annoying things about the union but but yeah it's like overwhelmingly but this is why we work union jobs is because they protect us you know and when i think about the really bad experiences that i've had as an actor most of them have been on non-union productions when I was like an early actor before I joined the union and stuff like that. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like who got hit in the face with a pipe early on in his career because I was working on a non-union job with a crappy stunt coordinator. <laughs> oh. I did, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah, like like some of the non-union jobs that I was asking for that 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 that, that I had done. It's just like the, some of the things that they asked for were ridiculous. Uh, I I shot a 
non-union Japanese like beer commercial or coffee commercial, which was supposed to be like the, we're supposed to be all in hell being tortured. And they strapped a giant boulder to me and had me walk up this spiral staircase that had no railing whatsoever. And the only bit of advice they could give to me was, if you fall, try to fall so that the boulder falls on the ground first rather than the boulder falling on you. And it's like, great, oh that, that really helps keep me protected. So, and then there's another example where... Full-on Greek where, mythology there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, you know, like the union does keep us safe and protected and it protects our health and it protects our images and it protects our work. So, so it's like this is why we have to strike, to make sure that we remain protected. If, if the union is like, you know, protecting you and everything, how is it, what, what's the approach to sort of addressing the AI concerns? Because as you mentioned earlier, there, there needs to be a human element. With the, with the takeover, I suppose, of AI, you lose that human element. You lose those little ticks that the actors or voice actors, etc., put into those roles. So how, how is it that this approach is being taken with AI? I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand the question. Can you repeat that? Sure. Sorry. My question is, how? What is the approach to de dealing with AI to ensure that, you know, it's entire roles are basically not taken from humans? That is exactly what we're negotiating right now. So, so, so that is what the negotiating committee is fighting for, and that's what the AMPTP is fighting against. You know, and and to give you an idea of where we're coming from. At the beginning of the negotiations, the AMPTP issued a public press release, you know, praising, lauding their proposals, which they labeled as being, you know, groundbreaking proposal to protect and compensate actors for the use of AI. And one of these groundbreaking proposals included the, the, the idea that background actors, extra actors, would get their images scanned and then reproduced forever in anything that the studios wanted with no compensation for the background actors. So oh, wow. that is pretty groundbreaking, but maybe not in not 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 for the actual background actor who's working on that. That's groundbreaking <laughs> in terms of in terms of let's save a ton of money and take advantage of the actor as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so that's the uphill battle that we're fighting. And, you know, that's what our negotiating committee is, is working on. That's what we're fighting for. So, by the way, just just letting you know, this area right, right about, let's see, right about here at the beginning, at the beginning of the strike was the location of a little bird's nest, like right around here. And, and like the and like the very first very first day of the strike, I was here and, and it's just like somebody's like, there's a bird's nest. And it's just like you like you peeked in and there's just this bird there was this nest with with three little birds that just looked really confused. Like why is everybody why is everybody so loud? Why are they yelling things? Why is it so crowded? So so anyway it 
hopefully the birds have grown up at this point. It's been five months, so so hopefully wow, they've grown up. Five months and, in, and, and they, they just moved out. <laughs> exactly. They're like, yeah, you know, you know, it's time for me to spread my wings. You know, I got. <laughs> I got I got to uh, find, find, find a place, you know, near the beach. It's a it's a good view. It's kind of cramped, but you know, the light's pretty good. So, hey. Speaking of spreading your wings, how do you think this strike's going to shape the future of entertainment industry, especially with like these emerging actors that are moving to California in order to you know, pursue their careers? You know, it's like that is what we're fighting for. Like when I talk to people amongst my friends and the writers, you know, we're not striking just for ourselves. We are striking for our children. We are striking for the younger performers and the younger writers so that this can be a viable career for them. This is not meant to be a gig job. They would love it if they would love it if, if writing was a gig job. Let's face it, most most acting is a gig job. But that's 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 a little bit different. Oh, oh by the way, here's the here's the the writer's check-in tent over here. You know, but it's like, yeah, like this is writing is not meant to be a gig job. And we need these residuals in order and protection from AI in order to be able to sustain a career. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I had to fist bump a fellow picketer. So so the thing is, the thing is, we are striking for the younger generation, you know, the, for the future of writers and actors in this country. And here's the thing. You want to know something? I hope the entire world is taking notice of this. I hope the entire world is watching what the writers and actors are doing right now and getting their own ideas because, you know, there are fantastic production companies all over the world. I mean, there are fantastic performers making fantastic productions all over the world, writers and actors all combining to make great productions and they don't have the protections that SAG-AFTRA offers them. And and like there was an article in the LA Times about, about how hard the Korean workers work and it's like their hours are insane. Like they're like they're just sleeping in the office trying to get all of their work done and all their writing done and it's, it's ridiculous. So I would love for all of the actors and the writers all around the world to look at this and say, hey, that's something we deserve too. There was an article in the LA Times that talked about how the studios are being so stubborn about this because they are afraid that if they basically do the right thing and protect actors and writers, that the, the, the actors and writers all around the all around the world will do the same sort of thing you know this is you know, this is of course particularly a concern for you know Netflix that that does production that, that create that creates productions all over the world and stuff so the thing is the thing is it's like they don't want they don't want the actors and writers to band together and and picket to protect their rights you know in Korea or China or anything like that and, and and a great response that I saw to that on Twitter was somebody who wrote, "Oh no, global fairness!" Ah, oh, you know. So it's, <laughs> so it's just it's just it's just like yeah. How how terrible would it be if? And then there's this kind gentleman who's giving massages to all the people with very sore backs from all this walking. But yeah, oh, wow. you know. But it's like it's like. <laughs> but but yeah, I I, I would I could not dream of anything better than for this to become a global movement and 
performers and writers and honestly workers all around the world to band together because that's the only way we have collective power. Thank you, sir. So yeah, and and one thing that I will mention is that when we post on social media, we're usually smiling. You know, when we post pictures of us with our friends on on social media with, you know, with all our friends or like these theme, we do theme pickets, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a Korean pop picket last week. There was a showrunners picket last week. There was, you know, there's a, like, you know, Asian, Asian performers, stunt performers, like there's all sorts of fun themes. And we try to have fun and we try to look like we're having fun because we would die we would we would go off the deep end if if we didn't find our find ways to have a good time but honestly we're exhausted we're tired we're mm. angry we're sore we want to go back to work and the studios won't let us because they want to keep us locked out until we can agree to basically be their peons and agree to whatever they want and they want us to just be so grateful to work that we just say, oh sure, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for this. Please, I'll accept anything you want. You know, you don't even have to pay me. I will pay you. Let me pay you to get to work <laughs> on this wall, you know? Uh, you know, who needs who needs to eat? Who needs a place to live? You know? But here's the thing is with literally every single actor and writer that that I speak to, when we talk about the strike, we say that we hate the strike. We say that we're tired, we're, you know, we're, we're tired, we just want to go back to work. But there is not a single one of us that I've ever spoken to that says, I regret the strike. And there's not a single one that says we shouldn't be on strike. Because every single one of us knows that this is absolutely important. If we want to work, if we want to have a career, we have to strike. So... Our bodies are aching, but our resolve is strong forever, and we will stay strong for as long as it takes. With that in mind, to, to all the people watching you know, the strike itself, how do you respond to those who are critiquing, saying that actors are already well compensated and shouldn't be striking? You know, I understand that it seems difficult to feel sympathy for somebody who works in what is considered a very glamorous profession. I would say like universally, uh, so walking along here, universally, you know, I think unless you're a heart of stone, like I don't think you can possibly say that, oh, well, like, you know, manual laborers, like, like hotel workers don't deserve fair wages and stuff like that. So if they're saying, oh, well, you work in such a glamorous profession, then, you know, you don't deserve anything more. But here's the thing, is that most actors, you know, we might get paid more per job, per day, per hour, but we work very, very sporadically. You know, I think it's like 10% of actors. What's going on? How you doing, guys? Good to see you. Like I said, we say hi, we smile, but we're still angry and pissed off. But so, so what I was saying was that, was, was that like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's only 13% of actors earn enough 
to, to qualify for health insurance. And health insurance means $26,000. In order to qualify for health insurance through our unions, that means $26,000 a year. That means the vast, vast majority of actors are not making... Uh, are not making enough to live on, you know, and the vast majority of actors are, you know, working a second job and stuff like that. So, so we're not rolling in it, you know, I have, I have a plumber. Okay. And when he comes over, I pay him a hundred dollars an hour because that's what he charges. And I don't say to him, Oh, well, you don't deserve that much. You know, if, if, if you, if you, you know, that, that, you know, a hundred dollars an hour comes out to $200,000 a year. And it's like, here's the thing. Okay. I'm paying him for his expertise. I'm paying him for his decades of knowledge of knowing how to deal with this situation, how to fix the situation. That's what I'm paying for. You know, yes. If I knew exactly what part to replace, sure. I, I could, I could, I could do it myself. But the point is that he's an expert who is trained in this. He's put in his 10,000 hours to be the very best that he could be. So he deserves that money. And not mm -hmm. only that, but, but he's not working a 40-hour week. He's not working a 40-hour week. It's not like he, you know, he like magically teleports from, from, from my home to somebody else's home and, and like is just you know, working, working nine to six every single day. You know? He's working mm -hmm. when he gets the work. So, so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the, the expertise and, and talent is worth paying for. There's this story which may or may not be true, but I'll, I'll just mention it, which is the idea that Henry Ford was brought into a, a factory because they were having problems with their machinery. And he comes in there and he, he looks at the machinery and, and, you know, he assesses the situation and he draws a circle on, on, on one of their panels and say, you need to replace this part. And he charges them $10,000. And, and they say, well, you were only here for, tw for 20 minutes. You know, how can you possibly charge us $10,000? And he says, well, how to, just for circling that one part. And he says, well, it's $100 for me to be here. And it's $9,900 for me to know which part needed replacing. So, you know, yeah, that's, there's, there's a reason why people train as hard as they do in the professions that they do, and that's why they deserve to be compensated fairly. <laughs> and again... So strikes can be polarizing and with these relations that you've just talked about between separate industries entirely, have you actually faced any backlash or support from unexpected sources? IATSE has been great. The other unions have been fantastic. So like, you know, you know, this is this is my sign that I have had with me since the beginning of the writer's strike. So this thing is four and a half months old and it's unions stand together. And and also, yeah, me me actor, no talk good without writer words. But point being point being unions stand together. And IATSE has been great lending their support and you know it it hurts us very much that all these IATSE people are out of work. They're the crew people, the lighting people, the sound people, the makeup artists. They are the ones who, you know, 
they're the, they're they're really suffering because you know they're not working you know if there's no productions going on they're not working but they come out to support us in the pickets the teamsters holy cow the teamsters man they are they are tough and and i've heard the teamsters speak through multiple strikes and every time i just want to go out there and go yeah i want to just go and, <laughs> i want to go and kick somebody's ass after i after i hear the teamsters speak um i think during the during the uh the writer strike uh i heard the uh I, there was a teamster who came to speak at one of the rallies and and he said and let me tell you if the teamster trucks are rolling through and we see picket signs in front of that gate we're turning the trucks around you know and now <laughs> and now the, the the head of the of the local teamsters union is this fire this firebrand named she's not yelling but she's just really calm and strong when she says and when the, and you know what the studios are going to find out is when you fuck around you find out so yeah i would say the support from the unions has been fantastic and the support from just you know just like people just regular people who just you know just say hey good luck you know you know hope you guys win and 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 you know all the cars just honking and stuff like that to show their support you know they they've been great i think i think the the little the little people and most of us all are little people get what we're fighting for and support us and we really appreciate it so vic this isn't the first strike that the sag after has had for residuals but it does have this new element of ai being involved in it and it kind of gives you guys a, a, a bigger platform in my opinion how do you envision the future relationship between sag aftra and the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers after this strike ends, do you what kind of positive changes do you hope to see implemented within the industry? You know, we want those we want the things that we're fighting for. We want protection from AI. We want stronger residuals for streaming, so that we can continue to have this as a viable career. That's that's what and and for the writers, you know, they want. All those, they want those exact same things as well as the existence of a real writer's room where they can collaborate on, on scripts and they want to be able to develop writers into showrunners, which is another thing that they're fighting for is like, they, you know, the studios want to just drop the writers after, after the script's completed and it's like, how does somebody ever learn how to manage people? How does somebody learn how to manage a crisis on set or rewrite things on set because something suddenly, suddenly something's not working? You need to retain these and you need, you need these to be able to train people to become producers and showrunners. So hmm. how do I, so that's what I want to see, you know, and, and will we ever be buddy buddies with the AMPTP? Are we all going to just like, you know, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya together? No, probably not. <laughs> but, you know, you know, let's face it, you know, this is this is just this is this is the nature of work and this is the nature of fighting for your rights and this is what we have to do. You've all been navigating the challenges of the strike together for about five months now, if I recall correctly. How yeah. can fans and viewers support you actors during the strike? Are there any specific actions you'd recommend? Thank you so much for asking that question. I really appreciate that. There is one thing that is really crucial right now 
which is if you live in the state of California, please, on social media or however, support Bill 799. This is an incredibly important uh, piece of legislation for the state of California, which will grant striking workers the ability to get unemployment benefits. Right now, that's not allowed. Even though this is something that is standard in other states like New Jersey and, and a bunch of other states allow striking workers to collect unemployment. But right now, California does not. However, one thing that's fantastic is that that bill has passed the California State Senate and it is sitting on Governor Newsom's desk right now. So, however, right now we don't know if he's going to sign it. He's getting a lot of pressures from the studios to not sign it. He's getting a lot of pressure from big business to not sign this and basically leave the workers, you know, in the dust. And so if you live in the state of California, please contact Governor Newsom's office and tell him to sign Bill 799. Do it via email. You can call. You can put it on social media and tag him, you know, whatever you want. But let let Governor Newsom know that he needs to sign Bill 799. That's probably the most urgent thing right now. So thank you very much for asking that. Beyond that, yes, please just uh, continue to support us on social media. Continue to support us with your friends. The AMPTP has more money than us. These studios, you know, they, they, <laughs> these studios, they got more money than us. And they have, you know, there's, there, you can see on social media, you know, there are definitely anti-union bots out there just saying, oh, you know, these writers, they don't, they're not worth it. These actors aren't worth it. They should just go back to work and stuff. And it's like, and you check these accounts and they were built, they, they, they were created four and a half months ago. And it's like, it's, it's so clearly, it's so clear mm-hmm. what they were doing, you know? And, and so, so, so that's what we're up against. So yes, please support, please support us. You know, and the hashtags that, you know, where you that there's a few of them, but like WGA strike, W SAG after strike, you know, let them know, let let the world know that you support us because that always helps us. And the, and if you're driving by the studios and you see us, please honk, you know. Well, Vic, I mean, is there any final words you want to say before we let you go? If, if not, we'll switch back over to our regular interview. No, but thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak from the picket lines. This is the most important thing on all of our minds right now. So thanks a lot thank for giving us Thank you for showing us, us the experience, honestly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to be here, but we have to be here. And that's, that's just the honest <laughs> truth. Yeah. Would you like to take your camera and kind of show, pan around real quick so we can kind of see what the scene sure. looks like? Sure. Absolutely. So, so here's, here's part of Warner Brothers. AI wants to kill us. Um, The signs are great. The the signs are great. Um, And and like, uh, honestly, honestly, the writers being writers, they have more clever signs than the the, the actors do. But uh, what's the best one you've seen so far? My favorite one was a writer who wrote who wrote. I went to the intersection of commerce and art. They never heard of the AMPTP. So, so that, that, I, I, I oh, thought wow. that was really good because, yeah, it's like, like we're all trying to find that intersection of, of commerce and art, 
But but yeah, like the AMPTP is just leaning way on the commerce thing, you know. So yeah, uh, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, so so that's where that's where we are. Yeah, I think the studios have enough money to 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 pay us what we're worth and and to compensate actors and writers for what we're worth. Can you give us a good view, a full view of your sign very quickly, if you don't oh, mind? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so this is my sign. I created this, <laughs> created this four and a half months ago, early on. It's been everywhere with me. You see how old this is? This thing has been stapled back together. It's been in the rain <laughs> and just like completely obliterated. So I had to go and tape it back together. At this point, at this point, it's just it's just like my friend, you know. I should give I should give it a name. You know something? <laughs> I we're naming it Cento. So, Cento. <laughs> Cento. <laughs> so, so this is Cento right here. So yeah, we just we just we just named it. Thank you, thank you for for making me think about it. Yes, yes. Meet Cento. Cento it. and I have been through a lot, and we will continue <laughs> to fight together for as long as it takes. Vic, thank you so much for uh, thank you for interviewing with us and kind of showing us Thanks everything. So much, we guys. appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed this two stage. Thanks, guys. This two stage. Thank, thank you, thank you guys. I think this is a good time to move into a more Mortal Kombat focused discussion. Okay, I'm back. Pop Tart's back. <laughs> Pop Tart. Pop Tart will be around until there's another voice line. So I think now is a good time to move into a more Mortal Kombat focused discussion. You you have been involved in couple of mk specific projects now as well as a project which had some slight relation to mortal kombat and those have been mortal kombat x mortal kombat one and ready player one as well <laughs> yes yes yeah that was that was wonderful because it's like it's like i got to i got to achieve my dream of being in a steven spielberg movie that's so, amazing yeah yeah, yeah it's like, like I nobody could have ever told me I would have never believed that being in Mortal Kombat would would eventually lead to being in a, a Spielberg movie, but but here we are. So so yeah, I I remember getting the call that that I was going to voice Goro in in Ready Player One, and and this is how tight security was for this one was like. You know, the, they had me go over, they had me go on to, I think it was the Fox lot or something. Yeah, I think it's the Fox lot. You know, fine. You know what? I've been there millions of times, you know, you just, but like, this is the first time that like, they're like, okay, park right over there. I'm like, oh, okay, park right here. And then like, there's an escort who escorts me over there. And like, he meets me, he's, he's, he's just waiting there for me, get in a golf cart. And I'm like, whoa, like I'm used to walking, them walk, used to walking to the stage, you know, uh, but, but like bringing him in the golf cart, like everything's, everything's secure everywhere. And, and the funny thing is, is just like, I didn't even get to see any of it when I recorded it. So, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's no screens. They're like, we can't show you anything. I'm like, okay. And, and so, so, so instead they just, they just played me what was going on what was going on in the scene. They're just like, okay, so, so the main character, you know, he's, he's in a crowded room with a, there's a, with a bunch of people there. They're like treating him like a celebrity. And, and then Goro comes in and says, you know, and, 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 and so I just had to, they had a temp person, they had a temp track going. And I think he, 
he might have even had like a like a, a Southern Texas drawl or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but like basically, I was just told, you know, just try to try to try to match the the cadence, you know. So because I think the animation had already been done, and so I just oh. needed to match the I needed to match the 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 the, the cadence. So so it was I believe it was like. You're a celebrity now. You're a celebrity now. You can't just go and doing things like that. Popcorn, come here. Come back here. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. We did call I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everything's fine. Love you. Okay. All right. <laughs> with with that role, how did that come up? Was it because of your previous Pop, acting of, of Goro in Mortal Kombat X? Or yeah, yeah, I was incredibly impressed with you know their 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 commitment to basically you know keeping it real, keeping it you know respecting the original actor and 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 so yeah, you know I I'm very I feel very fortunate that they you know, sought me out to, to get to play Goro. Cause <laughs> I have such a fondness for, for Goro, man. Like who, who, who doesn't love a forearm behemoth, you know? Yeah. Uh, how was it actually finally getting to see it in the theaters and after this experience? It was great. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's me. That's as usual. I'm sure I, I I'm, I'm sure I was just like, Oh, I could have done something better, but I'm, I'm like that honestly with everything, whether it's on camera or, or voiceover, I was like, oh, I could have done that just a little bit better or something like that, you know. But, Look, I but, recently yeah. rewatched it. You got nothing to worry about. It was great. <laughs> I, I, thank you. I, I, that, that, that movie is such a wonderful walk down memory lane. It's like, and, and it's like the, you know, I, I gave myself blisters playing that, that Atari 2600 game adventure and <laughs> finding that, that invisible dot that we called the wizard that allows you to cross the, oh, yeah. the crossover and, and see created by Warren Robinette, possibly the first Easter egg in all of video game history. So. <laughs> with, with your gore portrayal in that movie, did you like in the, in the scene itself, sorry, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the, the character has a, a chest burster that comes out. Uh, did you do the the screams of Goro? Oh yes, oh yes, of that, course. That's yes. great. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if anything, that is very similar to an actual fatality in Mortal Kombat X from Alien. Yes. Itself. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Uh, I wish I could be in the room with Dominic and the team when they're just. I'm sure they're just <laughs> sitting around, just thinking about you know what gory things can we can we come up with and be like how about we we do this and then it does this and it does this and it does this and it'd be like oh wait we know we already did that in in mortal kombat x we got to come up with something you know so yeah i would i would love to be part of a fly in the wall on, on that and, and hearing all the crazy ideas and hearing the things that got rejected because they were too gory <laughs> we've actually interviewed you know quite a few people who've worked on the franchise and that's exactly how it is. They they got a big whiteboard and they just kind of throw out these random ideas and then, you know, some of it never makes it and we get to hear kind of some of these ideas that they had that don't make it one game, but it actually ends up coming out later in the, the future of the oh, franchise okay. as technology advances. It, it's really cool. Oh, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> it's also funny that, you know, with the whole first Easter egg and everything, whereas I think if I remember correctly, Mortal Kombat had the first ever secret character in a video game with Reptile. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's so cool. I did not realize that. Also, that alien relation too. you know, we've talked about this with some of our past guests, Alec Gillis, who did Goro for the Mortal Kombat 1995 movie. He also worked on Alien 3 and was a big part of creating that franchise, too. 
so like how these all these different franchises kind of integrate and then you know years later we see goro with the chest burster coming out in ready that's player hilarious. one and, that's yeah that's really funny that's so funny i guess before we get into mortal kombat one let's talk mkx you have played kenji goro triborg sector and i'm a big fan of kenji personally um, phantom loves goro i mean every mortal kombat fan does yes <laughs> and sector holds a special place in all mortal kombat uh, fans hearts so between these three characters in mkx who did you prefer of the three at the time i think we know the answer already but <laughs> yeah, it might have changed over time right sure. so I'm curious. okay absolutely kenshi number one okay but goro just has this special this this special place in my heart because it's just like it's like when was the first time i ever saw goro was it the movie or or i, I don't remember but but like the first time you see somebody with four arms you know like <laughs> it's, it's so cool so like yeah yeah, yeah. so so i i freaking i freaking love goro and and I love doing the Goro voice. I guess if I better not do it again, I'll scare my dog again. But, but it's just like, so, so it's like, it's like my only regret, my only regret with MK1 is that it wasn't the story of Goro, <laughs> just like, yeah. where, he gets, where he gets just to dominate everything. So yeah, I, Kenshi number one, but, but Goro just, there's a, a special place in my heart for him. When you, when you go into these different roles, what kind of direction is given to you for each of these roles? Dominic directs the Dominic directs the sessions and and he's great you know he he'll he'll he's got such a great ear he is such a movie buff you know and and so you know I feel like if he wasn't if he wasn't doing video games he would just be directing writing and directing movies you know out here in Hollywood but but yeah like he has such a good ear for things so he will just adjust you according to, you know, the, the situation, you know, and he'll remind you, okay, you've just gotten really heavily injured. So, you know, let's, let's, let's feel that tension in your voice, you mm -hmm. know, and, and okay, well, these are the intros. So you got to have just a little bit of adrenaline. You're not fully juiced, you know, but you got to have a little bit of adrenaline because you're getting ready for the combat and stuff. That's so, cool. so yeah, Dominic's really great about, about being very specific about what we need for, for for each each scene and each line do you have a lot of freedom with these voice lines like do you get to ad lib a lot or is it pretty much stick, stick to the script and read it out as it is honestly like i have some freedom but honestly dominic is a really great writer so there isn't a need to ad lib really yeah. honestly when the when the writing is exactly what you would say there's no need to add anything else, you know, and it's definitely something I've, I've noticed about Dominic's writing. It's just, it's, it's really sparkling writing. So he's obviously directing you, uh, as you just mentioned, but how is it that you specifically choose the voice of each character? We work on, we work on it. And, and again, there's, there's, there's technical wizardry. So, so the thing is, you know, Sector and Triborg were, were certainly modulated for that robotic quality and stuff like that. So, so basically, yeah, like I said, Kenshi is basically my voice and maybe a little bit lower sometimes. And then Goro is Goro and, and stuff. So we just sort of work on it together and find what seems to work for the character. All right. Well, Let's talk more Kenshi then, because firstly, uh, one, one thing that I do have to say is it's, it's like I'm hearing 
Kenshi as you speak. Yeah. But then the you take <laughs> that, you, you lower your voice just slightly. And then I'm really hearing Kenshi and it's so disconcerting in a cool way. <laughs> so we obviously have Mortal Kombat 1 released. I mean, so pretty cool moment to be a Mortal Kombat fan as well as somebody involved in Mortal Kombat itself, Vic. It's been so fun. I've been, I've been, I, I, I have kids, so I can't, I don't have the time to actually play but I've been watching. I, I've been watching so many of of the of the of the of this cutscenes and and everything, and it's it's just great. I've been I've been mesmerized by storyline, and it's been so fun because it's like I remember delivering all these lines, and I remember seeing you know I remember seeing these scenes in my head. And then to actually see it actually unfold to I don't want to give too many plot points away, but like you know just a, you know whatever. Some people are getting sick from something. I don't think that's a, you know, what a, that's not a spoiler, you know. Yeah, it's, it's more fun and more developed, I think, this time. It is amazing, like, you consider the amount of responsibility that it takes to, like, be charged to write a screenplay that reboots the whole universe. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of responsibility only Dominic could do. Well, I think, Phantom, shall we move into spoiler territory so we can address certain things? Yeah. Right. So for any of our listeners that are listening right now and who haven't played through the story mode yet, we are going to be discussing some heavy spoilers. So we will leave some timestamps that way you can skip past it and not have to get spoiled from this great story of Mortal Kombat 1. If you are listening to this live, we will drop the timestamps in the actual chat. If you are watching this post-release, it will be in the description of the video. So Kenshi now in the new era and Liu Kang's new era that some are dubbing the Luniverse has gone to, well, really, uh, from a Takahashi to actually being part of the Taira clan, part of the Yakuza, to a champion of Earthrealm, and then, finally, to a special forces or FBI agent. Now, this is quite the shift, I think, if everybody does remember the previous versions of Kenshi. Phantom, are you, uh, do you remember Kenshi? Does, does anybody remember Kenshi's sort of lore from MKX and even from the 3D era, potentially? Yeah, I, I remember MKX is mostly 3D era. I don't remember it all. But I mean, MKX was basically he was a swordsman or he became a blind swordsman through Shang Tsung's treachery. But he didn't really have any association until Mortal Kombat X, where he joined up with the Special Forces, if I'm remembering correctly. Almost. In the 3D era, actually, he did have some involvement with both the Lin Kuei and the Special Forces. However, in the reboot era, he sort of joined the Special Forces in a way. So now he is back with the Special Forces, but only post-tower ending. So post-story mode of the newly released Mortal Kombat 1. But the, the shift here is actually... The fact that his clan is an entirely different take, being the, from the the originally mentioned Taira, and then as well as being a Yakuza member and then a champion. Because previously he was never really a champion, he just sort of linked up with everybody. So Vic, I'm curious as to sort of your take on his shift in character and plot, just based on from Mortal Kombat X, what, how you worked with him then, and now in Mortal Kombat One, do you did you do you feel that shift in the lore? Does it affect the character and how you sort of portrayed him? Or everything affects how you portray the character, and I, I just got to give credit to Dominic for just coming up with a cool backstory, you know that that makes sense and gives him more depth and and a really interesting future. So. 
So, I mean, just the the sort of approach you've taken with with Kenshi. Did did your did your approach to how you voiced the character sort of develop as the as the plot sort of furthered throughout the story? Because obviously we see Kenshi in the beginning of the story with Johnny Cage trying to steal Sento, and he's he's more let's just go with a gritty sort of character. Then he kind of becomes this more wholesome character towards the end. And did that sort of affect how you voiced his lines? Did the, did the time lapse affect the character? I mean, certainly I'm hoping, I'm certainly hoping it, that it came out okay, in those good. scenes. So yes, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm certainly keeping that all in mind throughout. And, and there's, there's, you know, there's, there's kind of this thought of like, you know, the, the, you keep the character's future in mind during the present, you know, and that doesn't mean you have to go and telegraph everything that's going to happen, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's nice to, it's nice to keep it in mind. And I believe that it colors your delivery. And even if it's a way that in a way that you can't actually concretely explain, I feel like just holding it in your mind, what's going to happen in the future helps flesh out your character and the delivery. You know, this time in the the story compared to Mortal Kombat X, uh, it, it basically is a much younger Kenshi. You know, in Mortal Kombat X, he was more refined, more aged. He had more life experience, and at this point, he is basically at the beginning of his quest. So it was really interesting to see how the character developed throughout the series. You know, as Yanni mentioned at first, he was introduced as a very gritty sort of character, but then as it went on, you know, he he ends up forming this friendship with Johnny, he ends up becoming blind. And the way that he kind of handles these different situations is a real sign of progress for the character. When you're going through and you're you're playing a character like Kenshi and you're kind of showing that development from, you know, this raw <laughs> breaking into a, a mansion to steal a sword to somebody who actually has friendship and is willing to sacrifice himself, as we kind of saw through the story mode, to help out his friends. Did you really get to play with his character as far as how you're portraying his voices from these different transitions of your character? Yeah, I try. I do my absolute best to, you know, and I always try to keep in mind what is going through the character physically, you know, what's just happened to the character physically, as well as what's going through his head when when you're actually delivering the lines, you know. I sure hope it it came through in in my portrayal of Kenshi, and and it's it's great that again I've got I've got Dominic there to direct me and and tell me if it needs more of this or it needs a little less of this or, or something like that. So, bear in mind we are asking these questions just purely because we want to see if it was an intentional decision. But <laughs> really, <laughs> in reality, these things did shine through, which is actually what spurred these questions. I mean, one thing that I really would like to draw attention to is how you handled him being blinded, because I felt the visceral pain there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you were screaming. Like, I, we, we all play Mortal Kombat. We all see the fatalities, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's cool, you know? <laughs> I was like, 
oh uh, yeah <laughs> it was it happen I, I was it. like no <laughs> i remember reading the script and i'm i'm and i was lying on my couch this very couch right here i'm and i'm reading it and i'm just like oh that's how it happens oh, oh. <laughs> so, so yeah i i love origin stories like uh, the or, origin story of anything always makes me happy to hear so so yeah it was it was pretty mind-blowing for me to see how Kenji lost his, how Kenji lost his vision. And it's a really brutal way of losing your vision. Oh, I, I can still hear it, actually. Now that I've just mentioned that scene, I can hear it. It was that good. So now, in this, he is clearly head over heels for Suchin, who in the previous timeline was the mother of his son, Takeda. Now, Thus far, we only see Takeda turn up towards the end of the game in a sort of multiverse moment, let's go with. <laughs> but in this timeline, in this era, thus far, it seems that he has no son, Takeda, to worry about. This is a big shift from the take in Mortal Kombat X, because obviously, as Phantom mentioned, in MKX, he is he's older, he's more... He's, he's more wizened. Mm. He's, he's less brash than he is now. And I think that having Takeda was also an, a huge aspect of that. Did this sort of affect your approach to how you voice Kenji in the sense that maybe, you know, this time he has no child to worry about. He's worried only about these sort of things in his life. Does that, does, is that part of what goes into the thought process behind voicing him? When when I was voicing that, the presence or absence of Takeda was not in my mind. So so I was more concerned with like the immediate situation that that he's in, you know, at the time. But Takeda is played by my friend Perry Shen. And so I just want us to fight because I'm sure Kenshi will kick. I actually told him that. I messaged him. And I was like, uh, I messaged him when the credits came out. I was like, Oh, cool, good, you're back. You know, I'm glad, glad you're back. And 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 he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's really cool to be back. You know, and I'm just like, all I know is I'll be kicking your ass. <laughs> how would you describe Kenshi's character in this game in Mortal Kombat One? How you personally, how would you describe it? I think he's gruff and. He doesn't, he wants to, he likes, he's comfortable with his exterior. And if, if he had his way, no, everybody would only see his exterior because that's what he's most comfortable with. And it's easier to keep people out, but deep down, he's a little bit mushy and it comes out occasionally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it comes out on rare occasions, like when a friend gives him a, a very precious gift so with mortal kombat 1 were you given different instructions on how to voice kenshi compared to previously not so much in terms of previously i mean like he's still kenshi you know and and your voice doesn't change that much you know once you once once mm -hmm. you once you've you know you've you've hit your 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 20s or whatever stuff like that so so we didn't worry too much about differentiating him you know i didn't i i didn't feel any pressure to make him younger or anything like that you know i mean kenshi's still a kenshi's still a tough gritty guy and stuff like that so so we just tried to to make sure that he, he's got the that the voice quality has the the strength that 
that Kenshi carries with him. With Kenshi Goro sector in mind, are there any other characters that you possibly wish you could have voiced in? She has the best lies. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be like this, this like cocky prick? <laughs> like, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. Johnny Cage is, is such a is such a doofus, but he's a hilarious doofus. And yeah, it'd be a blast. It'd be a blast voicing him. That or if I could voice Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> I haven't seen the, the clips of, of, of Van Damme just yet. So, so oh, but I, amazing. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see them. It's just like, like when, I, when, when, when Ed Boon first walked onto stage at Summer Games Fest, like I was watching it and he's like, we, we've got a special announcement. <laughs> the muscles from Brussels. And I was like, Jean-Claude Van Damme! <laughs> so, so I, oh my gosh, that guy cracks me up. I love Jean-Claude Van Damme. So, Same. So yeah, so I was, I was, I'm so psyched about that. So I don't think they're going to be asking me to play Jean-Claude Van Damme anytime soon, <laughs> but if, if they are, I'll be ready. So aside from Johnny, any other characters you would like to potentially voice in the future for the franchise? Besides Johnny? You know, maybe Liu Kang, just because that was the very first character that I've I that I ever got to play that I as I, I like in the video game in the in the arcade mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That was the very first time that was the use of my very first quarter on Mortal Kombat. So that'd be cool. Out of the the three various games that you've worked on, which of those three do you prefer? The Mortal Kombat 1 experience has been really, really fulfilling. Mortal Kombat 10, you know, I was still new to video games, and I think I probably spent much of those sessions feeling imposter syndrome and feeling like, did they mean to cast me did they did they like mix me up with somebody else did like the the tapes get switched or something like that so so i think i felt so excited and grateful believe me but but so almost like you know why me that that i didn't get to enjoy it as much and i still enjoyed it you know but but with this with this iteration around with Mortal Kombat One, you know, I feel more comfortable. And again, Dominic is just so such a, a friendly person that I felt comfortable with him, you know, as a person, not just you know as the director type of thing. So I've gotten to really enjoy the ride so much more this time around, and 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 just. And and because social media is is so much more prevalent now, it's just like being being able to reach the the the, the fans and stuff like that has just been wonderful. So uh, at this point, would you say you have any specific type of roles that you like to voice? I love to voice monsters. You know? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I like to yell. I am not a tough guy in real life, so because of that, I like to I like to yell and be to be tough and play and play these you know these tough guys in charge and stuff like that. And and I'm I'm fortunate that I have a voice that seems to work well with that. But but yeah, I I I enjoy being being like tough guy, hard ass type of type of characters because it's just not how I am in real life. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't need. I don't need practice voicing an awkward Asian guy because I'm. I'm pretty good at that. I, I live that. So, so it's fun voicing somebody who's, who's uh, tougher and hard ass than me. So, are there any projects that are currently on your horizon that our listeners should keep an eye out for that you are able to mention? My two favorite characters to voice are 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 Kenshi Takahashi and Song from 
from Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will be coming on the horizon and stuff like that. So nice. So that'll be it. That'll be that'll be exciting, and I'm I'm excited to to see what what comes next. So yeah, they're 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 pretty they're pretty those are pretty great franchises and pretty great characters, and I'm very blessed to be part of both. And interestingly enough, I'm running on Twitter right now a Twitter poll because. These two guys that I voice, Kenshi from Mortal Kombat and and Song from Final Fantasy, they're both like the best looking guys ever. <laughs> and so so I got a Twitter poll going on right now of when it comes to snazzy suits, who wore it best? So it's running right now and I'm looking at it right now. Oh, are you okay? All right. So <laughs> yeah. let's 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 see where we're at with this with this. Okay, all right. <laughs> With with 21 hours left in the poll and 453 votes cast, Song is ahead by a wide margin. He is leading 73% to 27% over Kenshi for their I'm snazzy I'm not percent by the way. It was 269 <laughs> until just now. So uh, so yeah, we're so yeah, it's 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 uh, it appears that Kenshi is winning the 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 snazzy suit competition right now. So for those budding talents that are kind of looking to step into the world of voice acting, do you have any kernels of wisdom that you could share? Or is there a piece of advice that you wish you had received when you first started? That is wonderful. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, thinking about what I would tell myself if I'm just starting out. Yeah. And he, here's what I would say. Make a lot of mistakes. Make a lot of freaking mistakes. Screw things up because that's how you learn. And it's better to just try something and do it badly or make a mistake and screw up and learn from it rather than to not do it at all. You know, I certainly know of the phrase, oh, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. And yeah, sure, that's true. But the thing is, it's like so so many of us we think, oh, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready. Like, like when I do this or when I accomplish this, then I'll be ready. And it's like, no, just, just jump in there and do it. Even if you're not ready. Okay. Go for it. Make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because that is how we learn. And that's how you grow as a person. So please don't be afraid to screw things up. I've screwed up so many times, so many things that I, I wish I, you know, I, that so many times when I just like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That was really dumb to say that to the director. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was really stupid or whatever. But, but you know, it's like, honestly, we regret the things that we don't do more than we regret the things that we did that didn't work out. So go for it. So Vic, before we let you go, what is your favorite Mortal Kombat finisher? <laughs> I got to say, Kenshi's second fatality is pretty darn brutal. So, and I'm so, so glad we've got you reacting to that oh exact my fatality. Gosh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That blender just... The <laughs> just like, that's brutal. That's, that is, that's brutal. So that's the one that's in my mind right now. Yeah. So, so, so we'll see. Like the thing is I have kids, so it's, yeah, I have to be very, very careful about 
when I watch, <laughs> when I'm watching, when I'm watching gameplay from, from the, from the, from, from, from the show and stuff like that. So I, I haven't been, I've been, I've been able to watch like just little bits and pieces, but yeah, when the kids are in school, believe me, I'm going to find a good time. I'm just going to just watch <laughs> all of the fatalities and I, I can't wait to see what the, what the sick minds at nether realm have, have dreamt up for this one. So. Oh, they, they are sick. So Vic, where can our listeners find you on social media? Oh, thank you for asking. I am on Twitter at Vic Chow, V-I-C-C-H-A-O. On Instagram, I didn't get that, so I have to have a, added the number one to my name. So it's <laughs> Vic Chow one V-I-C-C-H-A-O with the number one at the end of that. And at Facebook, it's clearly I'm not on Facebook very often. <laughs> is, it, is it Vic Chow actor or is it actor Vic Chow? It's Vic Chow actor. All right. And that's a, that's a really good point because I should actually do more on, on, on Facebook as well. I should do more on Instagram, actually, because that's where the cool people are hanging out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm Vic Chow actor over there. And... Give me, give me, give me some time. I'll get on TikTok. But yes, <laughs> well, please, please do follow me. Please reach out to me. I am inherently just still that same shy, awkward kid, you know, that was like, that was like five feet tall entering high school. You know, I'm still that awkward guy. So honestly, when you reach out to me, that actually encourages me to post and reach out to the fans and stuff like that. So, so please, you're not bothering me. I, I welcome it and, and it encourages me. It gives me the fuel to keep on going. And we can confirm everything that he has just said. He has been absolutely lovely in and everything. <laughs> so thank you, Vic. And I would just like to say we would leave links to everything that you've just mentioned, all your social media platforms in the description of this video so that people can find you easily as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to chatting with you guys. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate the time to come on. And yeah, thanks for all the time. It's a, this, is a, this is a great time. Vic, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining this episode. And thank you to all of our listeners for stopping by the Realmcast today. It's great to have your support. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat meme realm. Well, which is now known as the Realmcast, which we have just shifted very recently. You can also join our official Discord channel hosted on Mortal Kombat online server through the link in the description where we discuss Mortal Kombat along with our listeners. And special thanks to Uppercut Editions for their continued support. The Realmcast is the official podcast of Mortal Kombat Online. And you can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, and MortalKombatOnline.com. Thank you very much. reaction to Kenshi's voice actor himself. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Oh my gosh. <laughs>